0: Today's lesson is following their own desires. The background passage for this lesson is 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 12 through chapter 7 verse 1. The story of 1 Samuel opens with a note of hope. God has not forgotten his people, and he is continuing to work out his mission to deliver them, notably through raising up a leader for them. But this theme contrasts with the reality of Israel's leaders at the time. Their priests, Eli the priest and his two sons, were tasked with overseeing the worship of God at the temple dwelling in Shiloh. In fact, Elkanah and his family took their sacrifices every year to the sons Hophni and Phinehas. But in contrast to Elkanah and Hannah, these priests were a picture of rebellion. God was about to judge them, and he was raising up Samuel to take their place as the leader in Israel. The activity of God that began in 1 Samuel chapter 1, a long-awaited son of a faithful couple was given to the Lord so his life might be wholeheartedly devoted to God's mission in the world. In contrast, we'll now look at a family that undermined God's mission in the world and see how God responded to their sin. The first point in this lesson is the priest's evil sons are contemptible. We find this in 1 Samuel chapter 2 verses 12 through 17 and then following up again in verses 22 through 25. Eli's sons were wicked men. They did not respect the Lord or the priest's share of the sacrifices from the people. When anyone offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged meat fork while the meat was boiling and plunge it into the container, kettle, cauldron, or cooking pot. The priest would claim for himself whatever the meat fork brought up. This is the way they treated all the Israelites who came there to Shiloh. Even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the one who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast, because he won't accept boiled meat from you, only raw. If that person said to him, The fat must be burned first, then you can take whatever you want for yourself, the servant would reply, No, I insist that you hand it over right now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. So the servant's sin was very severe in the presence of the Lord, because the men treated the Lord's offering with contempt. Now, Eli was very old. He heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they were sleeping with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He said to them, Why are you doing these things? I have heard about your evil actions from all these people. No, my sons, the news I hear the Lord's people spreading is not good. If one person sins against another, God can intercede for him. But if a person sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to their father since the Lord intended to kill them. Up to this point in the narrative of 1 Samuel, the importance of Eli has been as a background character. He was the one who thought Hannah was drunk as she begged God to give her a son. And he was the one who dedicated young Samuel at Shiloh. Now we encounter Eli again, but this time it's on account of his children. Note the immediate contrast that's set up between Hannah and Eli's sons. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 16, Hannah asked Eli not to misunderstand her situation of despair and thereby think of her as a wicked woman. Rather, she was praying intensely to the Lord for a son. The extended introduction of Eli's sons here uses the same language, but without negating it, they were wicked men, with a lack of respect for the holiness of the Lord. God's priests were evil. The author of 1 Samuel gives two lines of evidence for this claim of wickedness. First, the sons refused to follow the Lord's instructions on how sacrifices were to be treated and used after they'd been offered. Remember that the priestly tribe of Levi was not given an allocation of land in the promised land. With the exception of a number of cities and pasture lands for their livestock, by God's design, the priests and their families' daily provisions of money and food depended largely on the tithes and sacrifices of the people. The law instructed that sacrifices to god required burning animals along with the fatty portions the best parts then depending on the type of sacrifice the priest and their families could eat the breast and thigh and sometimes a portion will be given to the worshiper and his family this wholly organized system had devolved in shiloh however as the priest hopney and phineas took advantage of their position and the people coming to them to offer their sacrifices. Instead of taking their assigned portion and the people coming to them to offer their sacrifices, um, they, 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 instead of ta- when the people came to offer sacrifices, instead of taking their assigned portion, they would take whatever portion they could get by chance with a large fork. Additionally, they would take by force, if necessary, fatty portions of the meat, which were reserved for God alone. In this way, they had treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. These priests were arrogant thieves who hindered the worship of God. The second evidence of these priests' wickedness was that they were committing sexual sin with the women who served the Lord in Shiloh at the entrance to the tent of meeting. It's clear from Eli's rebuke that he knew what his sons were doing, and he even participated to some degree. As a parent, he rightly was concerned about their deplorable behavior. What's worse, one of these sons was going to assume his father's post when Eli passed away. The passage makes it clear that Eli was very old. Therefore, the nature of his successor was front and center. These wicked, foolish sons were set to become high priests of the Lord. If they were doing these kinds of things in their current position, who knows what they would do when elevated to the foremost role in the priesthood. Eli confronted his sons, but it was to no use. For their, their errors. Hop, Hopney and Phineas would not listen to their father's warning because the Lord had already set their judgment in motion. They wanted to ignore God and live according to their own lusts, so God would give them exactly what they desired, the wages of their sin, death. Eli warned that God can intercede for a sin committed against another person, but no one can intercede for a sin committed against God. That is, no one except God himself. In his grace, the Lord provided an advocate for sinners. Jesus Christ, the righteous son of God, in him alone we find forgiveness and salvation from all our contemptible sins. Thankfully, the Lord is gracious to forgive sins and has given us Jesus for this purpose. But we must never, ever downplay God's just wrath against sin. The second point today is the priest evil sons are rejected. We find this in 1 Samuel chapter 2 verses 30 to 34. Therefore, this is the declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. I did say that your family and your forefathers' family would walk before me forever. But now this is the Lord's declaration. No longer For those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disgraced. Look, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your forefather's family, so that none in your family will reach old age. You will see distress in the place of worship, in spite of all that is good in Israel, and no one in your family will ever again reach old age. Any man from your family I do not cut off from my altar will bring grief and sadness to you. All your descendants will die violently. This will be the sign that will come to you concerning your two sons, Hopni and Phinehas. Both of them will die on the same day. Eli confronted his sons, but to no avail. Then God sent an unnamed messenger to Eli. To confront him for his own part in the sinful happenings at Shiloh. The messenger from God began by highlighting the many great privileges that God had bestowed upon Eli's ancestors, Eli himself, as well as Eli's family. Way back in Egypt, God had revealed himself to Moses and Aaron to call them to lead the Israelites. Of all the tribes, God had chosen the Levites and specifically the family of Aaron to be his priests. Aaron's descendants would offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the Israelites so that they could maintain their covenant relationship with him. They alone were allowed to come near to God in the sanctuary to wear a holy ephod and to meet with him, thereby representing the people before God and God to the people. Furthermore, This family shared in the privilege of eating from the food offering of the Israelites. Theirs was a great privilege. They spent their lives among and doing the holy things of God. But Eli and his sons had despised their privilege. We've seen how Hopni and Phinehas took advantage of their station. Now we learn that Eli had chosen to prioritize his sons over his sovereign lord. Eli had attempted to rebuke them, but he failed to reject them as priests for their failures. So instead of aiding others in their worship of God, they had detracted from it. Therefore, punishment was coming, and their privilege made God's decision all the more stark. God declared his righteous judgment. Previously, the Lord had declared that the priesthood would belong permanently to Aaron's family, as long as the law of Moses was in effect. But that did not mean the same family descended from Aaron would carry out the duties of the high priest. Within the confines of God's promises and covenants, he can still punish sin and reward those who honor him by faith. So to this end, the privilege of the priesthood before the Lord would pass from Eli's family. God would raise up another family line, descended from Aaron to fulfill this vital role in the nation and history of Israel. The fulfillment of this prophecy would come during the reign of King Solomon. In addition to the loss of the priesthood, there would be some painful consequences for Eli, his sons, and his descendants. We should pay attention to these lest we think we can trifle with God and escape unharmed. God will not be mocked. With the statement, look, the days are coming, The messenger communicated the magnitude of the coming shift for Eli's family. God will remove their strength so that perpetually Eli's descendants would not reach old age. Death by violence would be the curse upon this family for their cavalier attitude toward the holiness of God. Since this coming shift of priesthood would not happen for many years, God gave an immediate sign of his judgment. Eli's two sons, Hopni and Phineas, would die on the same day. The sons actually thought that they were mighty, able to take what they wanted by force, but in a moment God would cut them down, displaying his righteous judgment for all to see. First Samuel um, chapter two verse thirty thirty four does not contain the theme of hope, only judgment. Yet, we can still see hope found in the promise of a faithful priest in the future and also in the work God was presently doing to raise up Samuel as the prophet, priest, and judge. But for now, God made it clear that he would judge Eli and his sons. The untimely deaths of Hophni and Phineas on the same day would prove that the holy God will not tolerate ongoing unrepentant sin It must be judged. God rejected Eli and his sons as his priest because they failed to honor him. His judgment would be harsh, but just. In this, God would be faithful to his covenant with Aaron and to his holiness. Believers to struggle with temptation and sin. By God's grace, our sins are forgiven in Christ and we have no condemnation. Yet God remains faithful to discipline his children. The third point in this lesson is that the priest's evil sons are judged. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1b through 11. Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped near Ebenezer while the Philistines camped at Epic. The Philistines lined up in battle formation against Israel, and the battle intensified. Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who struck down about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the troops returned to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord defeat us today before the Philistines? Let's bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh. Then it will go with us and save us from our enemies." So the people sent men to Shiloh to bring back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Armies, who was enthroned between the cherubim. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord entered the camp, all the Israelites raised such a loud shout that the ground shook. The Philistines heard the sound of the war cry and asked. What's this loud shout in the Hebrews' camp? When the Philistines discovered that the Ark of the Lord had entered the camp, they panicked. A god has entered their camp, they said. Woe to us! Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us! Who will rescue us from these magnificent gods? These are the gods that slaughtered the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Show some courage and be men, Philistines." Otherwise, you will serve the Hebrews just as they served you. Now be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And each man fled to his tent. The slaughter was severe. Thirty thousand of the Israelite foot soldiers fell. The Ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. God sometimes used pagan, godless nations to bring his judgment to Israel. He did this throughout the period of the Judges. On this occasion, the Lord once again used the Philistines, bitter enemies of Israel. Recall the exploits of Samson. In years past, the Israelites had gone out to battle in full hope of success and victory because God was with them. This characterized all their battles under Joshua with one exception. Ai, where they suffered an embarrassing defeat because there was sin in the camp and God had not fought for them. That loss serves as a helpful foil for understanding the costly loss handed to them by the Philistines here. When the Israelites lost at Ai, Joshua bowed in grief before the Ark of the Covenant and prayed to the Lord, seeking the reason why. God identified the presence of sin among the people and helped the Israelites to address it. They then went on to fight against Ai and win with the Lord's help. After their losses to the Philistines, the Israelite leaders again returned to the ark, but with a wholly different mindset. They knew that the Lord was responsible for their defeat, yet they didn't connect that reality with the fallout of sin in their midst namely the sin of their priests, Hopni and Phinehas. They didn't seek the Lord in prayer. They sought his his representation and power. Believing God's tangible presence with the Ark of the Covenant would make the difference, the people called for the Ark to be brought from Shiloh, so it can go into battle with them. This was not unheard of, as the Ark had led the way for the people to cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land and God himself had commanded it to be present in the march around Jericho. But, having bypassed the Lord of Armies, who's enthroned between the cherubim, they sought the Ark of the Covenant, as little more than a good luck charm for the people. They looked not to the Lord, but to the Ark to save them. But with a note of foreshadowing, the ark was accompanied by Hopni and Phineas, the two ill-fated rebellious priests, destined to die. When the ark arrived, Israel raised a battle cry so loud that the ground shook and their enemies, encamped across the way, took notice. The Philistines were curious: what would make a defeated army so exuberant? And then they learned of the arrival of the presence of the ark. The Philistines didn't know the heart of the matter with the Israelites, but they were certainly aware of the optics. The Ark of the Covenant was associated with Israel's God who had slaughtered the Egyptians with the plagues. For the Philistines, the Ark functioned like an idol, a mobile representation of the powerful God of Israel. Sadly, it functioned the same way for the Israelites. Such is the human propensity to seek a visual instead of the invisible God. The pagan Philistines did not worship the true God, but they knew he was mighty. Like the fearful inhabitants of Jericho, the Philistines knew that if God were to fight on behalf of Israel, that they would be in trouble. Their only hope, as they understood it, was to fight harder than the Israelites with their God. What the Philistines didn't know, however, was that God was was once again on their side. So Israel was routed a second time. 30,000 soldiers were killed. The ark was captured, and Hopni and Phineas died on the same day as God had foretold. God vindicated himself here in two ways. First, he proved he will not be a pawn used to advance the purposes of self-absorbed people. Unless Israel heeded his word and walked in his ways, he would not fight for them. Second, God proved that he will judge sin. Keeping his word to put to death the two sons of Eli, God will not turn a blind eye to sin because he is holy and sin is deadly. So people must turn to him to be saved. I would like to close this lesson today with a voice from the church. Paul Copan once said that ultimately God's judgment will come to all who refuse to submit to God's kingdom agenda and instead seek to set up their own little fiefdoms. God grants humans freedom to separate themselves from God. In the end, humans can have their final divorce from God, both as judgment as well as the natural fruit, born out of a life lived without God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and just ask you to open our eyes to the idols that we put in place of you, Lord, and ask, ask you to forgive us of our sins, And I ask that the Holy Spirit would come upon everyone who listens upon this message and guide and direct our path toward holiness within you. And I pray, Lord, for those who are sick and hurting today, that you would just be with them and comfort them and raise them up and restore them to what you would have them to be to serve you in the way that you've set forth for them. I pray for anyone else that might just be hurting or trouble today, Lord, that you would just go to them and comfort them. And not only comfort them, but guide them. Illuminate your word to them and give them strength. For it's Jesus' holy and precious name I pray. Amen.